0: So we're in Jonah chapter 4, and uh, this is the last chapter of Jonah. And if you're a guest with us, here's what we've been doing. We're studying through the books of the minor prophets, uh, going all through the, old, uh, the uh, 12 minor prophet books. We've covered Obadiah, we've covered Joel, and um, now we're almost finished with Jonah. We'll be hitting Amos, then Hosea, and so we're just kind of making our way through. But we're going to end off with Jonah uh, chapter 4 here today. All right. Would you do this? Would you stand uh, to your feet? I just want to have reverence for the reading of God's word today here as a body. Chapter four of Jonah. And just to set the stage, in case you're uh, a guest here, and we've been preaching through this. By the way, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the message that we preached before. In fact, I would say this: if if you're here and you've and and you've missed a message, I would I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to the messages that you miss. They all connect to each other. And so just because you're not here, man, go back and listen to those messages. But, that, but nonetheless, we're in chapter 4. I'll set the background as we read this. The people of Nineveh have repented. Jonah comes in and he preaches probably one of the most lackluster evangelistic messages ever. And these people repent. And I'm talking a lot of people repent, it seems like. And the king repents. And like, it, like revival is breaking out. So much revival, like the Lord had said, "I'm going to destroy Nineveh." So many people repent that the Lord does not destroy Nineveh right here in this section. Although when we come to Nahum, we're going to see that that they do get destroyed later on. But we'll—that's later on. So Jonah four is Nineveh's repented, and Jonah, a prophet who is probably the most successful preachers ever, is hot about it. Man, he is burned up and down about what has happened here. So we read chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He was angry that people got saved. These Ninevites, these pagans, these horrible people who actually had persecuted, done many wrong things to Israel, had become followers. And verse 2. Get this, in the midst of his anger, sinful anger, He prayed. (laughs) He prayed to the Lord, Yahweh, capital L O R D, the Great I Am. Oh, Yahweh, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So amazing. He's in sinful anger, he's still praying. His theology is correct about what he's praying, but his desires are so far from God. Sound familiar? Therefore, now, O Lord Yahweh, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, that's just what I've wanted to do every time someone gets saved, like, Lord, just kill me now. The Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would come of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly get glad because of the plant. Imagine this. Mad that people got saved but excited for a plant to grow over his head. The ultimate tree hugger. All right. you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let's go to the Lord. So, this is your word. Let us submit to it. Let us glean from it. Let us take from it what you have desired for us to have today. May you today do two things. May you freshly confront us with sinful anger towards God and others through this message. And would you at the same time break us of our desire to not disciple like you've called us to, the nations. Two things we're dealing with here. Sinful anger and desires for God's desire to go after the nations. So help us in this. We'll trust you. We'll lean on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So the title of this message is. Uh, by the way, if you're looking for points today, I decided to rebel a little bit because, like, if Jonah can rebel, why can't I? So you're not going to have points like little, you know, like the nice little, you know, ordained Baptist that I am. I usually give you points. That's just how I was trained. But I just felt like this week I'm like I'm not giving anybody any points. We're just going to talk about it. So, uh, for better or for worse. You know, it was my form of rebellion this week, so rebelling against my homiletics professor. So you won't see that, but you've got plenty of uh, space there to take notes. But here's the, the, the theme overall that I'm going for this week, the trap of sinful anger. The trap of sinful anger. This is Jonah. He is trapped in sinful anger. Now, the good thing is, it's not a trap that you can get that you have to be stuck in. It's a trap you can get out of. But he's trapped right now in sinful anger. And and just to kind of help you with the difference between the two, hold your place in Jonah. Just kind of put your finger there or um, bookmark it if you're using your dumb device. All right, and then go over to Ephesians chapter um, chapter four. I don't say it's a dumb, it's it's not dumb, it just makes me dumb, all right? That's why I call the smartphone. Do you, any of y'all feel like y'all are less smart because of our smartphones? I feel less smart, and I, here's where I feel less smart, is directions. Like, I used to be able to, if like, you know, the old days, you looked at MapQuest. You remember MapQuest? You kind of look, and then you kind of get there, and then you kind of know how to get back there the next time. Let me tell you, I don't know how to get back to any place anymore. Like, like sheep being led to the slaughter, I dumbly follow this GPS. And I can even tell you how to get back there. So I feel like I'm getting dumb. That was free. Now let's read what Ephesians has to say about sinful anger. I want to talk about a little bit about sinful anger, righteous anger, so you have a little bit of an understanding um, as we kind of jump into today's text. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, it describes sinful anger in verse 31. And verse 32 describes righteous anger, okay? Now, um, uh, a righteous response to sinful anger, I'm sorry, it doesn't say anything thing about righteous anger, but it gives you a response to unrighteous anger. And here's what I tell people. There is a such thing as righteous anger, and there's a such thing as unrighteous anger, okay? In verse 26 of Ephesians 4, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. So there's a category for righteous anger, And righteous anger is your anger about something done to God or somebody else, and you have a righteous response. That's righteous anger. To be honest with you, doesn't happen very often in our lives. But sometimes it does happen. Some people say, give me an example of righteous anger. I would say... If you're ever watching the TV and let's say you see that there are kids that are starving on the other side of the world and you are you you are upset about it and mad about it and it moves you to take out your finances and try to do something about it, that is an example of righteous anger. You're angry about something done to somebody else and you have a righteous response, right? That's a, a good example of righteous anger. Now, just so we all are clear, most of our anger is not righteous anger. It's unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger is you're angry about something done to you personally. Okay, You're either angry with God, angry with other people, or could be both, but it's something that happened to you personally. It's affecting you personally. You have not gotten what self has wanted. Instead of dying to self, it's all about self. And that's when sinful anger actually happens in our life. If you look in verse 31, here's some manifestations of sinful anger in verse 31. You're like, what does this have to do with Jonah? It, 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 it does. Just hang with me. Let all bitterness and wrath... By the way, bitterness is you can't stand to be around the person so i've heard people say like i'm not angry at that person i just don't like them right no you're angry okay it's sinful anger you don't want to be around them you don't even want to th- think about them you don't want to go near them you avoid their phone calls you ghost them let all bitterness and wrath wrath is where you blow up anger it's where you get silent icy cold and clamor this is where you start raising and yelling your voice people would say i'm not i'm not angry i'm just passionate No, it's probably clamor. Slander is where you accuse a person's character. All this is to be put off along with all malice. That's intent to do harm. So if you ever want to know, is your anger righteous or unrighteous anger? If it manifests itself at verse 31 of Ephesians 4, you're walking right into sinful anger. Start raising your voice and yelling at people to get your point across. Sinful anger. Verse 32, how do you, people say like, man, I'm Irish, it's just how I am, I'm angry, whatever, right? Like, no, like, it can be changed. Verse 32 says this, put off, verse 31, put on verse 32, be kind one to another, kindness. How do you fight unkindness towards you? With kindness. Like, in Romans 12, how do you fight when people have done evil towards you? Your response should not be evil, but kindness, right? That is actually how you put off sinful anger. It'd be amazing, Because when you try to put off sinful anger by being kind to someone who wasn't kind to you, you all of a sudden get confronted with your own sin, and then you start to experience God's grace. And then at the same time, that says in the Scriptures, it brings conviction to the other person. So be kind one to another, tenderhearted. That means trying to understand where they're coming from. Try to understand what's going on in their world. Instead of jumping to the conclusion and being skeptical like we often are and suspicious... We give them the benefit of the doubt and we try to understand where they're coming from. Like, why did this person fire off at me? Oh, they haven't slept all night. The kids have been up all night. Forgiving one another. You forgive. You're not replaying what they've done to you. If you just be honest with you, you, you want to know how we are so unforgiving and, and, and have such sinful anger towards a person? It's often when we are replaying what they've done to us. What does it mean to forgive? It has nothing to do with your emotions. People say all the time, well, I'm not ready to forgive yet because I'm just not emotionally ready. Strip that out, friend. Forgiveness is I'm no longer bringing the matter up to myself, this person, or anybody else. I'm not replaying it, stewing over it. I've replaced that thought. So he says you forgive one another. That's what forgiveness is. As God in Christ forgave you, the standard of forgiveness is not me. The standard of forgiveness is Christ. So how far can I forgive somebody? How far did Jesus forgive? Like, listen, even if you're here, I mean, I hope I hope it hadn't happened to you, but if I'm playing the statistics right, even if you were abused, you have the ability to forgive that person. You do. Now, that doesn't mean it, it strips a person of, of all the effects and fall of their sin. I'm just saying there is the ability to forgive. And as you forgive, the ability to, for you to be whole again is there. Now, I, I, I took you to Ephesians 4 just to try to show you There is unrighteous anger in verse 31. There is a response to unrighteous anger. You replace it with verse 32. Tenderheartedness, kindness, and forgiving. And you can actually change from being a sinful anger back over to not being sinful anger. Now, there is a type of anger that is righteous, though. And that's the kind of anger that is anger about something done to God or somebody else. And I will tell you this, very rarely does that really happen in our lives, but when it does, it's blessed. It's good. as a good response. I'll give you another example. So like I am am furious that we live in a country where little babies die, okay? Where little babies who had nothing wrong with them, but we're allowed to take their life and call it like a woman's right. Like I'm not trying to to to, like if you've ever been through that i'm not trying to come down on you like listen the lord forgives and you can be whole and and but i will say this it 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 angers me and what is a righteous response to that that i would that i would pray for that those for, for that organization that i would that i would go out there and pray around it that i would try to talk to people i would try to encourage people that's your anger about something done to somebody else and you have a righteous response Now, an unrighteous response would be that if you go down to the local Planned Parenthood and you start, you know, throwing, you know, throwing bombs at the door or anything, that would be an example of what could have been righteous anger now is unrighteous anger. So you can never sin by, when you have righteous anger, you can never sin by it. So I'll tell you all that to say this. Where Jonah's at, he's trapped in sinful anger. And, and here's the deal. He's not angry about something done to God or other people. In fact, he's angry that God has done something for these people. And Jonah does not like it. And he doesn't like it because it doesn't help him any. He's selfish, self-focused. It's all about him. When we walk in sinful anger, it's because we're really selfish. Like there's something increasingly selfish and self-centered about our lives. Now, why was Jonah not happy that all these people repented in Nineveh? Because Nineveh is part of the Assyrian Empire, and, and which was still kind of a growing empire. And this... People had already attacked Israel and was their enemies and they were rotten people. And so for him, the thought is, if these people come to faith, God will bless them. If God blesses them, it's going to be bad for the northern kingdom Israel. Like I don't want these people to be blessed. I want these people to be cursed. At the same time, just so you know, uh, Jonah wasn't the only nationalist, right? So if Jonah goes off, preaches a message, all these Ninevites get saved. God starts blessing the Ninevites in the Assyrian Empire and then that word gets back to all his northern kingdom of Israel prophets and people. Do you think people are going to celebrate Jonah as like, well done prophet? Or are they going to be like, are you stupid? Like, why did you tell these people? I mean, there was going to probably be a little bit of uh, pressure on him going back home. He's probably not going to be a celebrity, not a celebrity pastor like all of us want to be, right? He's not going to be signing Bibles or anything like that. So that's, that, So there's some selfish reasons. That he doesn't want these people to prosper. He, he doesn't want them to have the gospel. He's, he's angry towards them. They have done Israel wrong. They're a wretched people. They're very evil. They're known as being one of the most violent cu- cultures ever. I mean, it was even common in their culture that they come in, they conquer people. It, just to kind of prove a point, that they, they'd find the pregnant women and they'd cut their bellies open and let their kids fall to the ground to their death. I mean, these were a wicked, wicked people. And Jonah's mind is, if they get grace, then this is going to be bad for us. So I don't want them to have that. And I don't want the fallout of me going back home and everybody thinking like, why did you preach to a people? Now, just so you know, Israel was really about self, not about what God always wanted Israel to do, which was spread the message of Yahweh to the nation. So here is him. He's struggling. He's trapped in sinful anger because it's all about him. So you look in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. and He was angry. He had sinful anger. It was all about him. Now, what's interesting is this. Jonah thought God was against him, but really God was for him. Because here's what you discover. When you look historically, the northern kingdom of Israel, which was just king after king was epically evil and wrong. Israel, during this time, experiences a a relatively period for about 20, 25 years of some peace and some prosperity. Why is that? Because there's a generation in Nineveh that came to faith, and when they came to faith, they, they, they weren't wanting to attack Israel as much. Now, it seems like it didn't pass on generationally, because eventually they did come and conquer Israel later on. But for the next 20, 25 years, there seems to be some relative peace, and it benefited Israel. So the interesting thing is this, Jonah thinks that God is against him, but God's actually for him. And he thinks that God doesn't have something good for him in this when actually God was fighting the whole time to get something good for Jonah and for the people of Israel. But this is what happens with sinful anger. When you're trapped in sinful anger, it's because it's all about you and you sometimes just can't see it. I mean, you can't see it. There's something in the scriptures called not having ears to hear. That's Jonah. He doesn't have ears to hear. Although God was doing something great in the midst of it, he couldn't see it. His racism, his nationalism, his sinful anger towards the Ninevites, his anger towards God, not being able to understand God's way wasn't good for him. He needed to understand everything about God's way for him to fall in line, and God had a greater plan. Now, what's interesting, you look at verse 2 is this. Although, I mean, Jonah epically has a lot of wrong thoughts, a lot of wrong thoughts, at least his theology is right. Look in verse 2. And he prayed, he's still praying. That's why I think he's a follower, because he's still going to the Lord, although with a very double-minded heart. Sounds familiar to me. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Some people say that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid of how violent and evil they were. And there may be some truth to that, but really the text tells you the real reason he didn't go, because he didn't like them. He didn't. He knew God's character. He knew what the Pentateuch, that Exodus 34, had said that God was gracious and merciful. He knew that. I mean, Joel, the prophet, when we looked at Joel, he says the same thing in chapter 2, verse 13, that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. I mean, like, he, he knows that this is what God's character is like. And so he says, I knew it, God. If I went and preached to him, you're so good that you'd save him so Instead of going 500 miles in your will, I try to go 2,000 miles outside of your will, and which is funny, ha, 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 ha. Try to go 2,000 miles outside of God's will, he still knows how to bring you back in his will in 500 miles. I mean, do all you want, but he's going to turn you around. I mean, I mean, this is, this is what God does. So Jonah, his theology is right. I mean, look at it in verse 2. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, Relenting in steadfast love. That word steadfast love, that's that Hebrew word chesed. That's that loyal, unchanging, covenant love of God. And relenting from disaster. His theology is correct. Isn't this interesting? A man who is trapped in sinful, bitter anger towards God and other people. Not wanting to follow the commission to go and bring the gospel to the nations. This guy, not wanting to obey God at all. But intellectually, he knows the right answer. He's got all the truth correct about the character of God in verse two. And know what scares me sometimes, especially for churches like us that I believe, I believe our church and our people are hungry for truth, hungry for the truth. I think we have a lot of great, solid theology. You know what scares the mess out of me? You know what wakes me up sometimes at night is being a church that loves the theology of God but not the heart of God, who loves. What God, the character of God intellectually, but is not changed by that to go do something about it. That's what really gets me. It, it, it's, it just, it makes me fearful that the time that God has given us when we go to glory and, and we're going to the throne that he's not going to say, well done, that good and faithful servant. He might say like, man, you've really done a great job of gathering up some great theology and you studied through books of the Bible. Well done, but you didn't do squat with it. Like, that's what fears me most. And that's what we have with Jonah. I mean, he has all the excuses. I mean, I, I, I hear, you know, in our lives, sometimes we make excuses for the sinful anger that we have towards people. We'll say things that's like, you don't know what they've done to me. And, and you know, it's just hard or you just have no idea. But that, when we say that, what we're saying is, we know what God's character is like, but we don't want to follow in his desires. Or when it even comes to the Great Commission, I mean, excuses abound. I'm too busy. I'm too shy. My life doesn't match the gospel message right now, so I, I don't want to make disciples i 'm too introverted i 'm not social. people think I 'm a fanatic. people will not like me. If I start telling people about the the Lord in my life i'm like it's going it's going to pay me to be a weirdo in front of everybody that's a knowing the theology of God, but that not letting it change your desires. by the way I, I struggle with this all the time you know um, this past week i was where, I was at some place where Like, I walked into the place, it's something I had to be there for about two hours, it was kind of a a social setting, I was going to be there for about two hours, plenty of opportunities to talk to people about the gospel, right? And I remember going in and and thought to myself, like, man, I don't want to do this today, like, I just, I don't want to talk to anybody, I got other things I want to do, let me get my laptop out, I got some work I got to do at the church, I got God's work I got to do, man, I got to answer some emails, right, God's work, right? By the way, answering emails never really feels like God's work, right? So you know that I was using some really poor excuses. And so then I was like, Lord, man, my heart's so just wrong right now. I'm, I'm just going to go out to the car. You know, maybe if I just get out of this environment and just go out to the car and just sit, I, I'll just forget about this. So I get out to the car, and it's like the Lord wouldn't let me shake it. And and I prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, I'm just, I, I'm not, I'm, I know what you have to say about the nations, I just don't want to do it right now. So Lord, I'm just going to submit to you that, that my motivation is low. I'm going to go back in there. And God, if there's a person of peace, if there's a, someone who's a, not a follower who needs to hear the good news, or a Christian who needs to be trained how to share the good news, I'm going to be open to it. Lord, you just open that. You just open that door. You open that door, I'll walk through it. And I will tell you this. Anytime I pray that prayer, what do you think God does? He opens the door. So I'll walk in there with low motivation, and go about my business, and then the person next to me actually starts striking up a conversation. Before the end of it, this person, I find out, is a follower, but has never been showed how to show the gospel message, right? So I sit there, and I go through the the, the, the one, one one the my story I've showed y'all, my personal testimony, start showing him how to share the gospel. We practice. I mean, this guy's like, man, I've been a Christian for 30 years. No one's ever showed me this. And so, and so here's the deal. I get Jonah. I get it. Now, there's nobody in that place that I was at that I was angry about or that had, you know, done anything wicked to me, but I get it, knowing what God wants, but not desiring what God desires. So I get that there's these ebbs and flows through my life. And I will tell you this I walked out of that day and like the Lord started to change me. Here's what I tell people all the time they'll want to follow God when it feels right. I would say this don't go off your feelings. Obey God because he says to do it. Then watch him change you in the midst of it, right? Like that's how it works. In the midst of it, he started changing my motivation again. So here's so here's Jonah, right theology, but just can't apply it right in his heart. Can't do what God wants him to do. So keep looking, verse 3. So here's what he does, verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, I mean, guys, he's so self-interested please take my life from me for it's better for me to die than to live. He's trapped in this sinful anger, this selfishness, this self-pity. I mean, and really, Jonah, you're upset that people got saved. But yeah, that's what happens. That's what happens when we're self-focused. And just so you know this, when we're battling with sinful anger, it's because we're selfish. Just flat out selfish. I mean, like, the people who struggle with sinful anger the most in their life are selfish people. You might be wondering, like, how do I know if I'm a selfish person? Well, ask the people around you, and if they're honest, they'll tell you, right? That's the certain way to know. I mean, people say all the time, like, I'm not selfish. Like, well, ask the people who are closest to you. Now, if you ask your spouse, they may or may not tell you, depending on kind of the mood, or the, you know. So I'll leave that one up to you if you want to open up that Pandora's box. But I will tell you this. Ask your kids, right? Ask your kids and they'll tell you. That's what's wonderful about kids. They often are great truth tellers, right? Now, they're still little sinners and liars, so they're going to be wrong, right? I mean, they'll lie about something else that has to do with themselves. But, oh, when it comes to you, they're going to bring some pretty strong and more than likely very accurate evaluation in the moment. If you're wondering, like, why do I struggle with sinful anger? Why do I lose it? Why do I blow it so much? I would say, yeah, there's probably a lot of selfishness, a lot of selfishness. Because this is what happens when we have sinful anger. We're upset about something done to us personally. Selfishness. Self. And it's kind of hard, guys. I mean, I get it. Our whole culture is all about self-esteem. Self this, self that. Just as free, you you didn't have to pay for this. There's no such thing as self-esteem in the scriptures. Like, God never promotes this idea that we build up great self-esteem. That's not a scriptural idea. Actually, the scriptures want us to build up this God-esteem. In fact, the scriptures actually don't want us to promote self, but kind of do something. It's an ugly word. Die to what? Self. Like, so the the question is not like, how much do I have to give? The question really is like, how much can I give of myself? How much can I die to myself? How much can I serve other people? How much can I pour out myself? People say like, well, I I need to set... Some kind of restriction on how I sacrifice for other people. Like, well, your Lord didn't. I mean, how far did Jesus go all the way to death? So some people say, like, well, how far should I sacrifice for people? How far should I do this? Well, when you start, like, cutting, when, like, blood starts squirting out, let's have a conversation. Until then, men, like, keep on going. And you'll find this. The people who struggle the least with sinful anger, it's because life isn't about them. When life is about us, that's when we struggle with sinful anger. And if you notice, I mean, like, most of the time when we get sinful anger, we're angry because we're inconvenienced. Something hasn't happened. We had an expectation. It didn't meet our expectation. And, like, when 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 you're not walking in selfishness, I'm not saying empty your life of expectations. What I'm saying is this. When life is about God's glory and the good of others, and you have something that you wanted or wanted to do or a way the day was supposed to work out, and it's about God, the glory of God in others, when, when, when whatever you expected doesn't happen, you can say, you're able to go, Okay, God, you amended the plan, and I'm okay with it. Because life is about glorifying you and the good of others. And when that happens, you don't walk in sinful anger. And this is what Jonah's doing. It's all personal to Jonah. Why? Because if Nineveh did well, then he thought that would be bad for Israel. That would be bad for him. It's all self-focused. In the midst of it, he can't even see what God's doing. And God's so tender. Look in verse 4. Oh, man. It's interesting. The same grace that Jonah was upset with God doing in verse 2 towards the Ninevites is the same grace that God's starting to extend to Jonah in verse 4. I mean, like, Jonah, as a result, I mean, I'm just telling you, man, I'm so glad that I'm not Yahweh. Because, I mean, like, all these people getting saved, and then the way Jonah's acting, honestly, I just would have killed him at the moment. I just would have been like, I would have been like, like, like infinity war, I'm just going to like turn you into dust and that's it. Like poof, you're gone. I mean, that's what I would have done. But the Lord, as gracious as he is to the Ninevites, he's still gracious to his own prophet Jonah. And this is what I love. In the midst of your sinful anger, the Lord still loves you. The Lord's still trying to gently shepherd you towards himself. Watch what the Lord does in verse 4. Instead of striking out, instead of him saying like, Jonah, are you, have you lost it? Like, all these people just got saved. Have you lost it? You self-focused, how dare you? The Lord, now by the way, the Lord's not against that. But what's the Lord shepherding him? Verse 4. I definitely would not have had this response to him at this moment. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? I love that the Lord questions him. The Lord doesn't let him get away with his sin, but the Lord doesn't, I mean, the Lord first tries to draw him, tries to shepherd him, tries to... Do you do well to be angry? Hey, Jonah, before you start going on this self-righteousness that you think you have in your sinful anger and how you feel about the Ninevites and my will, do you do well to be angry? By the way, I'll just tell you, when I, when I am struggling with sinful anger, right, that's one of the first questions I ask myself. Do I do well to be angry right here? And one of the questions I ask myself is, am I angry about, I'm telling you, this gets me every time. This brings me to repentance, when I start getting that, those angry emotions start welling up, right? I ask myself this simple question. Am I angry about something done to God or somebody else or me? All right? I just ask myself that simple question. Am I angry about something done to God, somebody else, or something done to me personally? And, of course, you, as you know, 99.9, 999999, further than I can calculate 9. It's usually I'm angry about something done to me I've been inconvenient, something didn't happen. And listen, at that moment, when that gets identified, that's when already I'm starting to repent. That's already when I'm like, okay, Lord, oh, like, I, I'm not even justified in this anger that I have. Like, this, this has nothing to do about God's glory and the good of others. This has to do about my glory and the good of me because I love me some me. And like, instantly, there's this space for repentance that starts happening. And instantly, like, I'm, I'm, I'm able to have a different posture in that moment, That's what the Lord is trying to do with Jonah in chapter 4 and verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? So here's Jonah. Great theology. Sinful anger, though. The Lord tries to gently bring him back to himself, but Jonah is not getting it. And when a person's trapped in sinful anger, sometimes they just don't get it. All they are seeing is red or all they're seeing is blue. Now, there's Two types of manifestations of sinful anger. Sometimes it's like the red where you just blow your top, right? All you do is see red and you just blow your top. Usually you're screaming, you're yelling, you're slandering, you're accusing, all sorts of things. Then there's the other type of manifestation of sinful anger. And I call it the icy blue cold kind, right? Where you may not say anything to somebody, but you try to kill them with icy coldness, right? You try to minimize them. example would be like you're upset with your spouse and you decide to kind of grab a blanket and go sleep in the living room instead, right? Y'all know nothing about that, right? Y'all know nothing about that kind of pity party on yourself. Y'all, y'all don't know about pity parties, right? Y'all know about that. I know. I, maybe I'm just talking to myself. A kind of icy cold withdrawal from the situation. So here's Jonah. If Jonah was really all about the Lord's desires, I mean, Jonah should have been like in the middle of the city having like the most epic party. You know, he should have been partying like it's 1999, right? If you don't know what that means, you're just not old enough. Like, like Jonah should have been like living it up. Like guys, let's party, let's disciple, let's get you ready. Like man, like the whole entire empire can change from the capital city on out. Like that would have been where Jonah should have been, but he wasn't. He had this icy cold anger also manifesting in verse 5. Look what he did. Jonah went out of the city, so he withdraws. But like like you can say like, man, I don't have sinful anger, Nick. I don't do that. Yeah. Do you ever try to kill people with your silence? Do you ever try to minimize them? Do you ever get upset with somebody and you kind of say to yourself like, I'm not going to talk to them for four days. Like I'm going to walk past them. I'm not going to ask them a thing. I'm just going to kill them with silence. And, and you know, yeah, that'd be the right thing. All right. I know. None of us know anything about that kind of stuff. I totally get it. So Jonah went out of the city. He sat to the east of the city. He made a booth for himself. Now, apparently, this booth wasn't a very good booth because it it didn't give him enough shade because it still seemed like he could use some more. And he sat under it in the shade till he would see what would become of the city. So so Jonah... he just wants to see, will God destroy the city? I mean, everybody's repented and stuff, but he knew that God said he would destroy the city, but the people repented. He's hoping against hope, right? This is how you really know, like God's extended, extended mercy to these people, and Jonah's going outside the city, just hoping that God would change his mind, that just hoping that God would destroy them anyway. So he's sitting outside the city, builds a really makeshift kind of Uh, I guess you could say like a little tent for himself. It doesn't seem to be very great and provide the shade because God provides him even more. And and here's what's so interesting. How can we know that we're trapped in sinful anger and not walking in God's desires? Because what Jonah wanted was, was Jonah had desires that he wanted to see happen to the Ninevites. So he goes outside the city. He wants to see God just destroy them. Jonah wants God's desires to match his desires instead of Jonah matching his desires to God's desires. And just so you know, the reason we keep referring to God as Yahweh, because the text does, you're not going to change somebody called Yahweh. You're not going to change that God. Like, as much as Jonah wants him to change his desires, God's never going to change his desires, right? What he has decided to do, he's going to do. The best thing we could ever do would just be like, okay, I'm just going to walk in it. But that's not Jonah. He is so blinded, doesn't have ears to hear, can't see his own sinful anger. His, his, uh, his nationalism has caused him to blind himself to the good work of God among these Ninevites that he just goes outside the city. And God in his kindness, his kindness, watch what he does in verse 6. Now the Lord, Yahweh, appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. So he's, Jonah's got this booth, but obviously it's, it's it's not been built very well. And it's kind of an in, in intense heat there. God provides a plant that provides like some extra shade, right? So the Lord appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. The kindness of God. God's kindness was not only for the Ninevites, that, that Jonah's theology said, but God's kindness is for his own people as well. This is what I love. The scriptures tell us in Romans... That the kindness of God leads us to what? Like sometimes we repent because we don't want the discipline. But sometimes we repent because the extreme kindness of God on our life. God's kindness was trying to draw him in. God didn't just leave him alone. God's grace was still extended to him. So if you're kind of here like, man, no, you don't know the people I hang around. They've got such bad, wicked anger. Like they could never change. Like, well... God seems to like to extend lots of grace to those people is making many efforts. So if you serve a God of grace, what stops you from being a person that extends grace to those people as well? Now, don't think that that doesn't mean you don't ever address that issue. That doesn't mean you give up on them. So here we have, like, Jonah gets a covering. God uses a plant to cover Jonah from his discomfort. And look what it says in the text of verse 6. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was happy about it. Isn't that interesting? He's so far from God, he's more excited for a tree than he is for lost souls. I mean, man, get that. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. I don't know what kind of worm this was, but that's not the kind of worm I ever want to be around, okay? Crazy worm, all right? Hopefully no one stuck that worm like at the bottom of a tequila bottle, right? That one will be bad to swallow. Verse 8. By the way, just interesting fact you know, that's like, like, that's actually, I looked this up because I was like, what is the deal? Is there really a worm at the bottom of a tequila thing? And like, actually, no, it's not. Not that I know. It's it's actually another drink, but there's a whole long story. But that was a publicity stunt to get people to buy more tequila, right? So if you bought more tequila, you fell for the sham. All right, next, let's keep going. It's free. Verse seven. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. Verse 8, Then the sun rose, God pointed, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. Now, when we go to Mexico this this week, we're going to feel like that. I mean, like, it's the middle of the day, it's like, oh, Lord, I know why Jonah was so upset. It gets really hot. But that's okay. The, the sweat just kind of, you know, all that sweat just kind of, you know, cools the body, right? It's wonderful. Don't let me talk you out of going next year. Erase what I just said. It it's like seventy degrees the whole time. It was interesting. Jonah's kind, uh, God's kindness had come out to Jonah, right? Do you do well to be angry? You well to be angry. He puts a plan over him to give him some relief from his discomfort. Jonah could rejoice over that, but not over what God really, not over God's desire for the nations to come to Him. And then it says that God now appoints a scorching east wind to beat down on Jonah's head. But get this. So now, so God put a plant over Jonah. That was good. And then it withered away. Now the scorching east wind comes and we would think, oh, now God's being bad. No, God's still being good. I love this. God is good even when good things that we perceive happen in our life. And God is good even when we perceive Bad things are happening in our life. To Jonah, this was considered bad. But God, behind the curtain, this was actually good. God was trying to bring him to repentance. God had tried his kindness. Jonah wasn't getting it. So God says, okay, I'm going to bring some discomfort to you. I'm still trying to draw you to myself. That was God's whole reason for it. Nothing that happens bad in your life is God just trying to be capricious. There's a point to it. So it says he was faint in verse 8, and he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. is not repented still. He's still on this selfishness, self-focused kind of train. He's more upset about his personal comfort than the comfort of these Ninevites. So he's struggling in it. And by the way, this is why I love Jesus, because Jesus was the most selfless person ever. What made Jesus so righteous is that he did not have sinful anger in his life. And people go like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I read some stories like he overturned the money changers and like overturned the tables in the temple. And that seemed like a pretty angry episode. No, he, because he was angry about something done to God and other people. The money changers were charging an inflated rate to exchange your money to give at the temple. They were perverting the worship of God and perverting the, um, the, uh, people who are coming into Jerusalem, their, um, their, um, benevolent giving. And so he says like, God's, God's not up for this. So for God's glory and the good of others, he overturns, he overturns the t- tables of the money changers and shoes them out of there. That was righteous anger the whole time. It wasn't anything personal. Here's I love that Jesus is so selfless that he would leave the glories of heaven and come and incarnate, live a life that's tempted by sin just like we are, absorb the wrath of God on the cross in our place. Like So how far can we go as far as the cross has gone with Jesus? That's how far we can go. So look at verse 9. So back to God's character. God's still reaching out from verse 9. God said to Jonah, do you well to be angry for the plant? I mean, Jonah hadn't repented yet. He's still angry. Verse 9, continue on the rest. And he said, (laughs) here's Jonah. So God's like being so gracious, trying to shepherd him, trying multiple different ways. I mean, like, this is how good God is. He's doing all these things to bring us to repentance. I mean, how kind is that? This is so kind of him. Even the bad stuff is God's kindness to bring Jonah to repentance. He's still working with his prophets. So don't give up on people around you. And by the way, don't give up if you're kind of like, Nick, I've been around this church for a couple years. Y'all talk about giving the gospel to people. Y'all do illustrations. Y'all have got like a a ping pong, you know, bucket that represents sharing the gospel. And like, man, I still haven't gotten on that gravy train yet. Like, I still haven't shared the gospel. Y'all been doing this like crazy. Nick, I'm a lost cause. No, you're not. No, you're not. God's grace is still extending himself to you. Now, God's trying all these different avenues that he wants to draw obedience. God's not giving up on you yet. You're still alive. I mean, if you're still alive, there's still a chance. I mean, like, tomorrow's a new day. People say, like, how many times do I gotta mess up before, before, you know, like, God stops giving me chances? I'm like, well, I don't know that answer, but the fact that you just took another breath, today's a great day to repent, right? Like, oh, man, I fell off on my Bible reading again. Like, man, I'm just gonna stop trying. Cause like, you know, like, man, God's just going to be upset with me. Like, well, can you, did you just breathe a breath? Yeah. Yeah. uh, Okay. Great. Today's a great day to get back at it. Right? Like any day is a great day to start again, fresh with the Lord. And don't be surprised. Like the Lord understands and knows that we're sinners. Now he doesn't excuse it, but it certainly didn't shock the guy. So watch what happens. (laughs) He says in verse nine, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I mean, that's Jonah verse 9. Like, yep, yep, yep. Guys, he can't even see it. Like, God's being so kind. He can't see it. When people in your life are struggling in sinful anger, and they're just rebelling against the kindness of God that's trying to bring them to repentance, you have to make a choice at that point and say, this really isn't personal. This is really between them and the Lord. And when you do that, watch how your grace extends to them. Watch how you say. You know what? I'm not going to fire back at them anymore. I'm going to treat them kind, so that they, if I, as I treat them kind, I fight kindness with evil. God will have more space to convict them in their life. I'm going to be tender-hearted towards them, and I'm going to forgive them like Christ forgave them. I mean, so this is this is what happens. By the way, can I take a side note here? Um, this isn't a rabbit trail, but a little bit. So basically, Jonah is um, not threatening suicide, but basically saying, Lord take my life. Now I will tell you this, just, I got to say something just on the side when it comes to suicide, because although Jonah's not actively trying to kill himself, and be honest, he's not going to kill himself because he's too selfish. I mean, honestly, he's not going to kill himself because he's actually way too selfish, right? He's sitting in his little pity party, Now, sometimes suicide happens as a result of... There can be many tentacles to it. Sometimes there's actually something biologically happening with someone that maybe hasn't been medically diagnosed that's causing them some type of infection that has caused them to lose all hope, and they sent them down a spiral. So there's lots of different things that can happen. But in this scenario, and this happens many times, sometimes people struggle with suicide, the people that struggle with it. Not all the time, all right? Somebody say this, not all the time. But sometimes... When people struggle with this, it's because those people are selfish, self-focused people, and life is all about them. And the most miserable life you will ever live is a selfish, self-focused life. Now, um, I never read his book because, honestly, he's, this guy's, you know, a false prophet. He's a heretic, you know. There's a guy named Joel Osteen, right? And now he says some good things. I get it, but that only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light, right? So just because he says some good things doesn't mean everything he says is good, right? So he wrote this book one time. I've seen the title a million times. Um, the the title of it is Your Best Life Now. Like, Your Best Life Now. So I've never read the book because honestly I don't like to read heretics, but I decided to go through the title of it. Now, if I'm wrong, someone correct me later on and like, hey, I read the book and you're wrong, he does. But... I read through like all the chapter titles and I've heard enough of the guy's messages and I didn't see one thing in there about your best life now is when you die to self. Like chapter three was like your best life now is build up your self-esteem. I got that one, right? But like your best life now is die to self. Like didn't see that in any of the chapter titles. Don't think I've ever heard a message on that. Your best life is actually a life of sacrifice. That's your best life now. I mean, that's your best life. Like Jonah didn't get it. His, he wasn't living his best life, you know, and he didn't have, like, really pretty teeth and pretty hair, okay? Like, he wasn't living his best life. Yeah, he may be a false prophet, but he has a really nice smile, right? So, and really good hair. And I read an article that he can bench 300 pounds, so I'm not jealous about his money, but I am a little jealous about his bench press. I'm just saying, but the Lord's working on me. I'm a sinner. I get it. So the Lord doesn't give up on Jonah, man. He, like, tries to drill down even further. Look in verse 8. Um, I'm sorry, look in verse 10. So it says, And the Lord said, You pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So the Lord comes in at the very end and he says to him, like, you're upset about this tree, but but man, there's all these people that are far from the Lord in this city of Nineveh and far from him. And, and I pity those people. Like, I pity those people. Have my heart. Let my desires to be your desires. And look at the very end of the book. In verse, look at verse 12, everybody. Everybody look at verse 12. In verse 12, it says, and Jonah repented and said, Lord, you are right. Let's go party down in Nineveh tonight for, for you have brought someone to the Lord and the angels of heaven rejoice. Do y'all see that in verse 12? <laughs> That's out there? Ah! Oh! Well, throw this one away. This is a corrupted copy, all right? I guess people can make up the Bible. So here's the deal. The way this book ends has been frustrating for me for so long, hasn't it? Like, what's the end like? But I get it. Because Jonah's like me, still struggling, still in the middle. Now here's the great news. I think Jonah really was a genuine follower of Jesus. I think it. I see enough evidence in it. And here's what I do know. If you are a true follower of Jesus, you will repent. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you eventually won't repent. But if you are a follower of Jesus, the you will persevere in the faith and you will repent. I have a lot of confidence that more than likely Jonah did repent. But I like that the Lord ends this not on one of those kind of like 30-minute sitcoms where everything ends up right, nice, and tight at the end. Like, this is real. Like, Jonah's still battling his own sinful anger and his desire to reach the nations just like God's desire. He's battling with it. Now, you may say to yourself, well, how do I fight this? We'll end with this. Worship team, you go and make your way up here. So I was reading a story one time where, like, this is back in the day. Like, at, you know, by the way, I mean, these things have gone. There used to be something called a circus, right? Like, you can hardly do these things now because they get so many lawsuits, right? So, like, Ringling Brothers is, like, gone. They ended a couple years ago. They got sued way too many times for, for having animals in a show. But what they used to do years ago, when circuses were kind of transversing all along uh, this country, when an elephant was little, they would trap that elephant in his thinking, by nailing a nail into the ground while he was little and he couldn't pull that nail out. And it tricked him. It trapped him. And so what happened is, the older and bigger that elephant got, they never got like a bigger nail or anything. They kept just hammering the same nail in because from a young age, if they could get that elephant thinking that he was trapped, he would think he was trapped. Thinking he was trapped, would think he would be trapped. And the whole time, this elephant had all the power in the world to escape that trap, but just believed that he didn't. Now, what happens with us? We think we're trapped by sin. We think we're trapped that our desires can never be God's desires for the nations. But the truth is, that's just, you're, you're that ginormous elephant that is trapped by a nail in the ground that you can pull up at any time. The power of the gospel is that big. So that's what I love as we end today. We're going to sing a hymn. And I love this part in the hymn because it describes Jonah, describes me. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's Jonah. That's me. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So like the writer is saying like, yeah, God, I I realize, man, I struggle with sin. I keep going back to it. I am so prone to wander. But here's my heart, Lord, let me match your desire. And listen, it can happen when we realize that nail is really not holding us back. We've decided to believe something that's a lie. Would you worship with me? Would you stand? Let's pray over this. Thank you for your word. Help us to glean from what get from this. Change us in our sinful anger and change us to have your desire for the nations with no excuses. Let us worship you. Thank you.